There's a future where AI is fully integrated with everything from customer onboarding to upgrades, where automated video can power self-service on a mass scale. But what about right now, right this minute? Where does AI fit in? Welcome to the Video Voyager's Edge of AI podcast, powered by Videate. We're exploring where no one has before, the transformative impact of AI and video automation on customer success. In each episode, we talk with industry experts and visionary practitioners to explore real-life stories of innovative AI video applications in the world of SaaS. Together, we're going to find out what we can do with AI and video automation right here, right now. Let's get started. And today we're chatting with Greg Danes, CEO at ChurnRx and an authority on customer success and retention. In the world of B2B SaaS, he's also known as the Churn Doctor. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. Okay, so the first question that I have, we like to start off our podcast with a little bit of a hot take. And that question is, is AI going to take all of our jobs? Well, obviously, no. But what's interesting, I think, to dig into that a little bit more is to say, well, which jobs could it do well, right? One of the things that can do extraordinarily well is to deal with language, to interact and communicate with people. And a huge portion of what we do in customer success is about communicating and interacting with people. Now, there's an interesting dimension here, which is that what we found works particularly well in terms of improving our communication with customers is to standardize it more. It's actually the range of variability in it that causes a lot of the problems. And so to the degree that we can become more prescriptive and more standardized in the advice we give, in the ways in which we interact, the ways in particular that we react to customers, then we can do better. And in some ways, AI is potentially at our beck and call to do that better than humans are with less training and less, well, just less variability. Actually, a huge portion, if not the most important thing we do for customers is to figure out how to help them get results that they can measure and appreciate. And so does AI have a role in that? I don't know, but actually I'm a little skeptical on that. I think that's a little bit harder to see how they would engineer that. Now, so I think the jury's out, but at least at the moment, I don't see how it could step into that role effectively, but the future could turn out very differently than the present for sure. It feels a little bit like the Wild West, but maybe like just pre-Wild West before we knew there was gold in those hills or something. <laughs> You've said that the old ideas no longer work and the old rules don't apply because business has fundamentally changed. What is a common example of like an old idea and an old rule? Oh, yeah. Great question. Everybody knows that the happy customers stay and unhappy customers leave, that it's all about customer satisfaction. And billions and billions have been spent improving the customer experience. And it's worked, by the way. Customers are having a better experience. The only problem is it actually doesn't pay. There's a company called the CEB. They did the Challenger sale. Brilliant company. They do lots of interesting research. And 10 years ago, they published this book called The Effortless Experience. And it was all about how experience was everything and how do you produce the best experience. But the, the interesting thing is they studied it, right? So they got a whole bunch of data and they tested what's the relationship between 
customer loyalty and customer satisfaction. And the presumption was that higher loyalty, customers would stay longer. Low satisfaction, customers would not stay very long. But when they tested it, what they discovered was that there was absolutely no correlation whatsoever between how happy customers reported being and how long they stayed. Zero. And that was a stunner, right? That was not what they expected. But that was my experience. You have this experience all the time where a customer is leaving, but on the way out, they stop to pay you a sincere compliment about what a great experience it was working with your company. It's like, that makes no sense. If it was a great experience, you'd be staying, right? So something's off. Something's off in the way we think. So I've been working for years doing a churn analysis. And so we've assembled this huge database of customer data, by far the biggest in the world, millions of customer records. And the other thing that happened was that everybody in the world decided to use the same customer satisfaction score. Everybody adopted NPS. You've probably heard of NPS. So that's really common, net promoter score. And so it's this zero to 10 scale. It's perfect, right? So we have all this data. And so we could finally ask the question, do customers who give a high score stay longer than customers who give a low score? And I'll get right to the point. No, there's literally no correlation whatsoever between how satisfied customers say they are and how long they stay. And that's just like a bomb blowing up our whole basic theory of why companies succeed. If it's not that, what could it be? It's got to be something, right? Right. Do you have the answer yet <laughs> on what that is? Well, we do. Yeah. And so because we have this data, we're able to test many factors, almost anything you can think of, we tested. The fascinating thing is there's only one factor we've ever tested that never correlates with retention, and that's satisfaction. Never. So it turns out there's one factor that is by far and away the best predictor of long-term customer retention. Nothing else even comes close. And every time we test it, it's phenomenal. And that is customer results. And you think, gosh, maybe that's obvious. Maybe that should have been obvious, right? Companies don't come and buy enterprise software or machinery or whatever to feel joy. They're getting it to produce a better result of some kind. And whether they're happy or not, it turns out if they get results, they hardly ever leave. And when I say results, I mean measurable results. We looked at customers who measured their results, but got bad results, terrible results. It turns out customers who are measuring, even if they got bad results, stay twice as long as customers who weren't measuring. And the customers who aren't measuring, some of them are actually getting results. The point is the measurement itself is a really big deal. So you have to measure results and then you stay twice as long. But if you want to stay six times as long, you have to get good results. Maybe not even phenomenal, just good. Just the kind of results you expected when you signed up. I'm so surprised that their satisfaction didn't correlate to getting results. That's interesting too, right? So we know why. Actually, we do have an interesting study. So years ago, I met the guy who was the COO at Sun Microsystems. This is way back in the 90s. They were a huge computer company, okay? Mainframe computers, multi-billion dollar company. And they had studied this. And he came up to me after one of my speeches and said, okay, I got to tell you about our study. So they ran the study. And basically what they did was they separated their customers into two groups, customers who'd had a negative experience and customers who hadn't ever had a negative experience, had only positive experiences, simple division. They could do it by looking at ticket data and finding the support tickets that were negative, right? That where people were frustrated. And what their goal was, was to chase down what it's driving these negative experiences and how can we fix it. But along the way, somebody thought to do a very simple thing, which was just 
measure the average lifespan of customers who'd had negative experiences versus positive, and what they found shocked them. It turned out that the customers who'd had negative experiences stayed twice as long on average as the customers who had only had positive experiences. And they said, what is going on? Well, it turns out we've been able to reproduce that over and over again. Every time we test ticket support ticket data, the customers with the most tickets stay the longest. And it doesn't stop like, okay, a couple tickets is good, but 10 tickets is bad. No, it turns out it, there's no ceiling. The more tickets, the longer you stay. How could it be possible that satisfaction doesn't compound the customer's sense of value that they've achieved? Well, it turns out, here's the simple exercise. So if you take two customers, two hypothetical customers, customer A comes in, tries really hard with your system, does all the training, tries to get the whole team to use it, whatever, they put the work in, right? Customer B comes in and doesn't really try very hard. Which of those two customers is going to run into more trouble? Oh, the one who's trying. <laughs> exactly. Now, which of those is more likely to get results? Probably the one who's trying. <laughs> right. So it turns out results and having trouble go together, <laughs> right? Having no trouble goes with a different profile, which is a low effort customer that's never going to get results. So it turns out that actually tickets, trouble is a predictor of retention. The customers who need to be saving are the ones who have not gotten into any trouble at all. Because they're not trying. <laughs> they're indifferent. Because they're not trying. It's not the trouble that makes you stay longer. It's the trying, which leads to results. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. That's so interesting. So we talked about old ideas no longer working, the old rules not applying, and so old ways of doing things versus new ways of doing things. Do you see AI kind of bringing in a new way of doing things within the customer success and experience world, whether short-term, long-term? Yeah, so I do actually. Engagement is a really good indicator of long-term success and retention. So low engagement, low success, high churn, high engagement, high success, low churn. So what does that have to do with AI kind of becoming part of that? Well, it's super expensive. It basically impractical using humans to engineer engagement, right? For the most part in our current regime, we have to take for granted that some customers arrive motivated and engaged and others don't. Now, if you had endless time, you could do what humans have sometimes been really good at doing, which is to engage them and maybe even pester them and work with them and entice them and share a vision and just do all the things. And if you had endless time and endless money, you could do that. And a few of the unengaged customers would become engaged, right? It does work sometimes, but that's just impractical. No companies can afford to do that, right? So we can't solve the disengagement problem by just throwing bodies at it. Is it possible that AI could be an effective stand-in for that dimension of what we could have done, would have done, if the laws of physics didn't apply? And the answer is maybe, right? Because again, AI, at least so far, has demonstrated an ability to engage and maintain a conversation, to essentially engage in an argument in a friendly way that is persuasive. If it became particularly adept at that, which I assume is only a matter of time, then you could potentially do this thing that seems impossible, which was to engage every customer as much as is possible on the level that they're able to support until they become motivated. 
maybe that's happening right now in, in a way that we don't know. And I think it's almost inevitable that someone will try, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's new AI related companies popping up literally every day. It's crazy. <laughs> so speaking of that, as AI gets better and better, how do you see it evolving over the next few years within customer experience? You already kind of mentioned one example. Is there maybe something more specific that you're like, oh, I wish I had something that could take this on and automate it? One of the things that we know about customer experience is that reactivity is the fundamental sort of mode, right? So if somebody has a need, how quickly can we react and supply that need, right? Even to the point of predicting, you know, the classic example is the Four Seasons Hotel, right? And every person who comes there, they know the name, they've anticipated their needs, they meet them at the door, they call them by name. If it's their birthday, they, right, they have all this information. Well, engineering that is is monumental. That's what makes that story about Four Seasons so salient. It's so famous, right? Because it's just incredibly difficult to do that. It requires so much engineering in the organization and the processes and everything. Well, I can't imagine that that's something other than trivial for AI, as long as the data are available and companies are increasingly good at collecting data. So the idea that their needs could be anticipated or at least rapidly responded to in the way that makes sense for them, in the way that they can best appreciate, et cetera. I just think that's incredible. So that's on the CX side, for sure. So as the CEO of ChurnRx, you have a unique perspective on customer churn. So in your experience, how have advancements in AI and machine learning contributed to your unique approach to managing churn? Oh, that's a good question. So Years ago, when machine learning started to become more accessible, one of the things that I did and a number of colleagues that I worked with was to apply it to this question of why do some customers stay and other customers leave? And we filled it with data, right? Core data all over this thing. And the reason that whole method exists to some degree is because we don't know the answer, right? So... That's why the need for hundreds of whatever data you can get your hands on, just pour it on there. Because with ML, it will find the factors that emerge that predict, you know, retention and churn. And what's interesting is the same thing tends to happen over and over again. What happens is that the model will tune <laughs> or you'll tune the model and it will basically say, okay, here are the 17 factors or whatever it is in order, in rank order that best predict churn and the model is really good. It predicts it like 92% of the time correctly. And then I ask the following question, how far in advance of churn did it accurately predict churn? Because there's a problem with this. And the problem is this, there's this thing we do in customer success, which is usually called rescuing the customer, right? And so we have this customer that they say they're done, they're sick of us, they're moving on. And everybody, you know, scrambles high value customer, the CEO's you know, intense about it. everybody gets excited and we dogpile on this customer and we do all this stuff. And sometimes we save them, right? And they renew and everyone's high-fiving and patting each other on the back. And, you know, what a good job we did. Never mind all the things we ignored while we were doing that, but okay, we saved them. Well, I was involved in a lot of those things. And I remember multiple times having this uncomfortable feeling in the back of my head that I wonder if they're really saved. So one of the things we've been able to test in our data, it's very interesting. We've been able to ask this question, how many customers can you rescue? It turns out it's about one in 10. Once a customer says they're leaving, you can only rescue about one in 10. 
Of course, we make a big deal about it when we do, and that's why everyone remembers those situations. Okay, But then there's a question of, okay, but what happens after that? So we were able to get a group of customers who'd been rescued. And what we did was we watched what happened to rescued customers after they were rescued. And it turns out they're nearly all churned out over the next couple cycles. So even the one in 10 that you rescue, it turns out you don't really rescue. All you did was delay it. What I need is a leading indicator. And so what we did was to use a different set of mathematical models, but also very sophisticated, to essentially say, what are the overall factors associated with high churn versus low churn? Not just predicting it six weeks in advance, but right from the beginning, right from the moment the customer arrives. And that turned out to be really productive. And the most productive thing that we asked was, instead of asking why do customers leave, we shifted our whole way of thinking to why do customers stay? Because it turned out if you ask customers why they leave, they give you lots of answers. I'm sure they're sincere answers, but they're incredibly diverse. But if you study customers and look at why do they stay, you actually come up with just a few things. There are not a lot of reasons customers stay. There are endless reasons why they leave, but not a lot of reasons why they stay. And if you shift your thinking from why do they leave to why do they stay, you actually figure out how to build the experiences and behaviors and processes that lead to customers getting good results. And that's actually where all the leverage is. So sort of machine learning sort of led us down this path. I would love to hear more about how important like self-service is. So I've been reading a lot and writing a lot about the importance of self-service and how people, especially like my generation, we don't want to talk to people on the phone. We want to just be able to Google what the thing is, you know, so has that also been your experience and how have you seen that fitting in? Yes, absolutely. So when you talk about self-service, there is a trend for sure. And we see it in the data over time of people wanting more and more to do it themselves and not have to talk to a person. That's absolutely true. So you're dead right about that, at least from what we can see. But then that raises the question, well, but some people will on their own be motivated and engaged enough to go do that. So companies like Duolingo and other apps have become very gamified in this way of making each tiny progress rewarded, right? And what are they doing? They're playing with the dopaminergic response. They're playing with our brains, giving us little rewards that cause momentum, that cause us to start doing, you know, step after step after step. I think that's really interesting. Competition in SaaS and lots of spaces has become so fierce that you can't charge fat margins to hire people to spend endless time with your customers. We've got to be replaced by robots to some degree. And so the question is, how do we motivate people through the process of learning so that they're self-driven through a self-guided kind of experience? And what our data shows, by the way, and this is something that I think relates to what you've been writing about, is that the customers who do are extraordinarily likely to turn out to be successful and stay for a long time. Like that's a really good predictor. Someone who would go to our knowledge base and guide themselves through the training, that's a great customer, right? We know they're going to do really well. And so how do I get more people? How do I motivate more people into that pathway? And to the degree that we can, we can really ramp down the most costly aspect of our businesses, which is the human capital required to interact with our customers. Yeah. I am a little worried about the gamification of all of my SaaS platforms, though. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a limit how much of that you can do, right? What excites you the most about AI and automation over the next few years? So the thing that excites me the most 
is what we found is that in a certain way, customer success isn't really for all customers. We think, well, who's customer success for? It's for all customers. No, not really. No, it's for the customers who will fail without it. And when we look at those customers, their problems tend to be much more similar than we realize. The kind of things that lead them to fail are mostly about them missing key elements of behavior change that are critical to lead to measurable results. So the thing that gets me excited is that I feel like we're moving into an era where things can become much more standardized. The process of getting everyone to say the same thing in the same way, at the same time, in the same sequence, is extraordinarily frustrating and difficult to do and costly. And of course, people are coming and going all the time. And we're looking at an era in which I can create a motion that's best for my customers who need it, and then engineer that to be consistent and standardized over time. And then when it is, we can watch and see what works and doesn't work in a way that's much more effective than having all these different people doing it in different ways. I'm looking forward to an era of predictability and standardization in ways that don't mean overly simplified and simplistic. And I think that the ability to produce consistency and then to optimize against that consistency is a much bigger opportunity for massive growth and improvement in the future than people realize. Yeah, that does sound really exciting and kind of like a win for everybody as well, which I always like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, that's the whole goal, right? That's what, that's what we're about. And where can listeners find you? So I'm on LinkedIn, Greg Danes on LinkedIn. Come follow me. I post a few times a week. I have a newsletter. So if you go to gregdanes.com, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. We talk about this stuff. I publish lots of research and videos and all reports and stuff, stuff that can really help you think through what you're doing in your company and show people and build alignment around what works. My company, churnrx.com, does churn analysis. It's a churn analytics tool. Very interesting. So you can check that out as well. Well, thank you so much, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. Me too. Thanks a lot for having me. Video Voyager's Edge of AI is powered by Vidiate, the number one trailblazer in the world of video AI and automation. With Vidiate, it's fast and easy to create, update, and globalize your video library with every new software release. Learn more on our website at video.io. Keep up to date with technology's role in shaping the future of customer experience. Search for Video Voyagers on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to stuff. And don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review if you like us, but not if you don't, and stay tuned for more. See you next time.